Hey, it's Greg Brady from Toronto Today. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Really do appreciate it. So we had a lot on the go today. Still some kids going back to school. Some went on Tuesday. Some will go tomorrow. Mine will uh, on Thursday. I think I should look into getting them new shoes. Anyway, it's a little late for that. But uh, Dr. Abdu Sharkawi will join us uh, to talk on the podcast today about schools and I guess a message, if anything, that he would let schools know about the do's and don'ts. Um, not all those are being fulfilled potentially as schools have reopened or will reopen. So we'll get there and we'll take some of your phone calls uh, from the show and put them on the podcast as well, just to get a pulse of how parents are feeling with kids going back. Our own Farah Nasser will join us uh, from Global News on the television side. She's ramping up for election coverage. She's got a new feature that's on the uh, History Channel that I want to get into a little bit, sort of stuff that we needed to learn in school, but didn't that stuff that wasn't in our textbooks. So we'll talk about that particular series. Uh, I'm excited to do that. And Dave Bradley, uh, news anchor extraordinaire will join us for what happened when uh, from September the 8th, some things you might've forgotten about and forgot how they made you feel as well. It's rather irreverent and you will enjoy it. I'm telling you, uh, that's all coming up right now on the Toronto Today podcast. It's great to have you on, Dr. Sharkawi. Thanks for the time. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me, Greg. Tell me, uh, now, you and I have talked about kids. We've talked about schools. Are you still uh, headed back tomorrow? Have they been back already? Yeah, they're actually heading back uh, today. So uh, left them not all that long ago. Uh, gave them a kiss and uh, took a deep breath. And obviously, it's a bit of an anxious time, but... Uh, I'm hopeful that uh, their school and the school board that uh, we live within uh, will be, uh, I think, very respectful and, and supportive of uh, strong public health recommendations. And, uh, mm. you know, we are really looking forward to them getting back to something that's just so essential for their own mental health and their growth and development and, frankly, for the whole family. So, uh it's a bittersweet day, but uh, I'm glad it's finally arrived. Oh yeah, no, I I, I hope it is, uh, and I hope it all all goes well. We all do, and, and we were talking with parents yesterday on the show uh, with kids going back yesterday. Here's what I'd say about it, and I want to get your feel for it. I, I think you know, I, I, it frustrates me what's not there. It frustrates me. Um, Dr. David Fisman just mentioned earlier this morning that you know we're screening for symptoms. We're screening for symptoms all the time, and the vast majority of kids who could test positive and potentially spread the virus. There aren't any symptoms, and that's at least half the kids. So there's a lot of elements that are frustrating to me for this. That said, we forget it, and we got to be practical about it. A year ago at this time, we didn't know as much about the virus. We didn't know how to risk mitigate as much. We sure didn't have any vaccines. I, I, like, I, I think it's so reassuring to parents, and, and sometimes we have the tunnel vision, and, and we think about you know the fears that we have, but we're in such a better place, don't you feel, than we were 12 months ago? Uh, I think we are in some in some respects, but in others we're actually paradoxically not. And the reason for that is simply one word, and that's Delta. So clearly, having vaccines definitely provides a certain layer of protection for the community at large. But what I think a lot of people don't appreciate is that Delta pretty much seeks out whichever part of the population remains susceptible. And right now, the people I'm seeing in the hospital who are intubated in the emergency room and ICUs are unvaccinated. I think there's a myth that that can't involve children. And while we haven't seen the same frequency of severe illness in kids and we haven't seen as many deaths, that doesn't mean that it can't happen. And there's every reason 
to be concerned about what we're seeing in the U.S., in places where there's not a good vaccine uptake in particular, but even in areas where there isn't. Kids are still getting long COVID if they're not protected properly in, in schools and other institutional environments. So I do hear what you're saying. Mm. We're certainly in a better place overall as a community, but I think we have to be ex- exceedingly cautious with respect to our kids. We're really doing things right now, hoping that schools are going to be protected by the community. Um, and that's a big ask, uh, especially when there's still a good part of our community that is not vaccinated at all. And we're moving into a fall where a lot of indoor activities and a lot of other things are going to increase exposure risk. 100%. Yeah. Dr. Abdul Sharkawi, our guest, Global News Radio 640 Toronto on Toronto Today with Greg Brady. If you could, if a school board called you today, uh, Doc, and said, give us, give us a quick functional list of things that you don't think we should do, what would be at the top of those lists for elementary school kids? What should we not be doing with those kids in schools? Well, we certainly should do everything possible not to have large crowds. And I know that uh, there's a lot of school boards that have said they're going to go back to assemblies um, with potentially more than 100 or so kids in a gym. I think that's not a very good idea. Uh, I don't like the idea of mass lunches in cafeterias uh, with one or two uh, adult supervisors. Um, I mean, I can just envision mayhem and an inability to control any form of distancing or anything at all in in, in that regard. Um, And I think we shouldn't have any indoor uh, sports or choir or activities where there's going to be a lot of heavy breathing or talking, um, uh, period, uh, unless there's masking. And, and obviously you can't mask when you're, when you're doing uh, musical activities, but you certainly can't for indoor sports. And I would hope we do as much outdoors as we can uh, until things improve. When you see a story like the OMHA on the weekend, we talked about it on uh, on Monday's Labor Day show, how the, uh, the Ontario Minor Hockey Association has said, everybody involved in hockey, we need you vaccinated, 12 plus. And that includes timekeepers. That obviously includes referees. Uh, if you're going in the dressing room, if you're a parent dropping your kid off, uh, we need this proof. Um, does that... Does that bode well for a sport like hockey? Or do you still look and say, geez, there's still going to be too many problems, whether we provide a wall of vaccination? It's one of those sports that we saw last year is a lot more likely to see spread than other ones. No, I, I like that idea. And, and frankly, I think if you create a policy that has everybody buy in and says, look, there's no ambiguity around this. We're not doing uh, if you can't vaccinate yourself fully or you don't agree with it maybe you get tested how accurate is the test when do you do it you know let's just take that out of the equation Mm -hmm. Uh, playing hockey is a privilege it's not a right um so if you want to engage in that you don't want to endanger the health and safety of everybody else on your team and the people who are officiating you know buy in Uh, i'll tell you it's surprising i had it I'm picking a bone right now with my own hockey league that I've been playing in for the last 10 years because they've been very reluctant to do the same. And I told them quite candidly, I'm not playing for you guys, and I will be a thorn in your side if you continue to avoid this conversation and you don't even recommend masking. You've got to do something. This is a privilege, and we've got to make a distinction between rights and privileges. 
when we're keeping the entire community safe. So this is the way to go. And I suspect a lot of recreational activities and leaks are going to do the same thing. And I applaud them for doing it. I know it's a serious issue, but do you just want to play with better players? Are you trying to force a trade? <laughs> uh, just... no, I'm going to get myself in trouble there. Uh, let's, uh, let's keep that one alone. Are you taking your advice from Mitch Marner's dad? You're just, you're just, you're just walking this to the line and seeing when they ca- when are they going to cave and just give me what I want. Right. No, no, I'm, I'm going to let Mitchie, Mitchie run the plank on that one. I'm <laughs> Dr. Abdu Sharkawi, our guest. Um, so I mentioned this yesterday uh, to a, a couple other uh, epidemiologists on the show. Uh, Eric Topol has been a fantastic follow on Twitter. There's just been some great U.S.-based stuff, and, and they can kind of see the train when it's coming. Um, he wrote this yesterday. Based on a large body of data, I lobbied the CDC this week to count confirmed prior COVID as equivalent to one dose of vaccine, which would reduce waste, unnecessary side effects, and provide the same access to activities as two doses, no COVID. I got nowhere. I understand why he's getting nowhere. I understand why public health officials just aren't going to play this game with the rest of us. But do you buy what what Dr. Topol has out there, given some of the recent studies that suggest, and, and that's why some doctors were telling patients even back in March and April, you just got through COVID. Let's hold off on this. You just recovered. Let's wait until we're, we're sure that a vaccine is right for you because you've built up antibodies. You should still get the vaccine. You probably should still get the two doses, but we're seeing great, great efficacy and great coverage of people who've had COVID who just get the one dose in the United States. Yeah, it's a very intriguing concept, to be quite honest. And tr- truthfully, if we were uh, pushed into doing, if you want to call it a natural experiment, you'd probably be okay Uh, more often than not, if you made the assumption that having COVID would provide some degree of natural immunity that would be sustainable for potentially several months in many instances, and getting one dose of the vaccine might provide a really amazing booster. I think the challenge is in standardizing it and knowing when are you going to make the exceptions for people whose immunity is probably going to wane a little Mm -hmm. sooner than you might have expected the elderly people, the people who may have some degree of underlying disease. I think that's where it gets a little bit tricky. And so if you put out a policy there that says you've had COVID, you only need one vaccine, and let's try and push for vaccine equity and better use of the supply, you may run that risk of maybe undermining the, 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 the benefit for some, some people. But it's certainly worth exploring. Last thing I've got for you, doctor, is is regard to boosters. Um, I uh, you know how frustrated I am uh, with people who who haven't gotten vaccinated yet. That speaks for itself. You probably are, too. This is now not about access. It might have been about access in April, May, maybe even parts of June. It isn't anymore. That said, um, when I see stories about boosters, it equally frustrates me. I understand that the delineation that it should be needed for immunocompromised people, people who've had recent surgeries. It should be necessary for people. My, my father-in-law is 70 and in a long-term care home. He should have a booster. People like you and I, um, and, and again, given your hockey prowess and my, uh, my tennis prowess, I don't think you and I necessarily need boosters. My worry when we talk about the boosters so much, and it goes to the top of the news cycle, doctor, is it makes people not trust the vaccines. People just roll their eyes and they sit without a science background and they say, oh, great. I mean, I guess the two shots of Pfizer didn't do what they were supposed to do. Yeah, they are. And you just may not need them. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think we have to be very cognizant of 
the narrative we're putting out there. Um, and I, I think you're right. It feeds into this idea that this is never going the way, that it's going to be a perpetual cycle of headaches and hassles and a fear of something lurking around the corner that's going to put us all in, in, in lethal harm, you know, next week. And we certainly don't want to push that because it's completely untrue. And I think the other point is that it's really important to understand this idea and this principle of vaccine equity. It's not a platitude. It's not a political lobby movement by people who are left leaning. It is actually an important and critical part of trying to actually help this pandemic resolve. These variants that arise from different corners of the globe, they arise almost single-handedly because we haven't done a good enough job providing the protection and namely the vaccine coverage for those parts of the world, whether we're talking about India or Brazil or in, in its day, the alpha variant that arrived from the UK. We have to remember that in order to protect ourselves here, in Ajax and Scarborough and Rexdale and Etobicoke and everywhere else in Canada, we've got to protect the people in Delhi and Bangkok and in Lancaster, England and everywhere else. Saying it's a global pandemic means it really is. We've got to prevent the source before it starts because people travel, people migrate, people move, and variants will spread with them. So it's not a platitude. It's an actually critical component of what we need to do to protect everyone. It, it's absolutely vital. I'm so glad you said that. Um, let's let's dig into that more in our next chat. Uh, I know your time is valuable. I know you got kids off to school today. Good luck uh, to the household. Good luck to your uh, your street, your community. Thanks for spending the time with our listeners today. Hey, thanks so much, Greg. Stay safe. Uh, it's busy for some more than others with uh, school getting going again. It's busy for some who are making sure that uh, their gutters aren't flooded, that uh, they didn't leave their windows open overnight, that their power is working. A lot of issues with all that rainfall. Uh, last night kid was supposed to play a soccer game big game redemption game we've lost a lot of games in a row by the way and we got lightninged out lightninged out the rain we could we could have played through some of the rain uh last night toughens you up doesn't it hardens the character um speaking of kids it's back to school and i want to gauge this for uh people listening right now your level of confidence in sending your kids back i, I think two things about where we're at We've obviously got fully vaccinated households. I'm lucky enough to be one. But I, I talked about this fine line yesterday between the fully vaxxed households where you might have high school kids or you've got kids seventh grade and older and the houses where time is like you feel like I got an endless amount of time with my kids. They're they're six and four or they're seven, four and two and they're driving me crazy. So I need them to be in school, but but I'm worried about them because they're not vaccinated. So they go see grandparents like my parents are 77, 75. And I can't imagine now with all six of their grandkids in three cities and two countries vaccinated, all six of their sons, daughters and in-laws vaccinated. And as well, on the other side, uh, my wife's parents fully vaccinated. They wouldn't be seeing any unvaccinated people, as in they wouldn't be seeing an unvaccinated child. It'd be different. They might have not the same sense of confidence to get together with us. 
if any of us were were not vaccinated right now. I want to gauge it from you where you're at. 416-870-6400. 416-870-6400 on the phones. And you can text the show as always. I got a few I want to catch up on on this very same topic. 289-975-1640. 289-975-1640. And there's this balance, right? We talked, Dr. Abdi Sharkawi was on the show and he says, yeah, it tugs at the heart a little bit as your kids get a year older. Um, I was looking at photos of the kids going to school five, six years ago uh, last night um, as uh, as I'm watching TV after the uh, postponement of our very critical soccer match. And um, it's unbelievable, the growth. You know this as parents and, and you sit around and you say, now we didn't take, we haven't taken enough pictures. We haven't taken enough video. They're growing so fast. Now they won't let us take pictures of them. Um, you know, they were supermodels when they were eight, 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 nine years old. They wanted uh, photos and they'd mug for the camera and all that. Now they don't. So here's the problem. I want this to go well for everybody, but there's also a sense of urgency for parents with older kids. I mean, who doesn't get that? Who doesn't understand that? So I need people to know that I understand your concern if your kid is in elementary school and they're in second or third grade. Um, But I also understand that healthy kids, healthy kids, if you were healthy before the pandemic and you're still healthy now, every doctor and every epidemiologist tells me you don't have a lot to worry about. You don't have very much to worry about. You've got less to worry about than you did last year. If the, the people that you care about in your house that are adults or that are just plain 12 plus have been vaccinated. Okay. That's a big factor right there. And again, you, you feel like you've got this endless amount of time. You got a decade and change to go with your kid at home when they're five or six or seven years old. And when you've got kids that are 15 and 13, like I do, you don't, you feel that clock ticking. You're, it's a round of golf. You're on the 14th, 15th hole. You're already thinking about the clubhouse, getting that steam whistle. Um, I'm open for sponsorship, Steam Whistle. You're thinking about finishing the round. You're thinking about when you're going to play again. You're thinking about the drive home. And that's what parenting is now when you get to this age. So, look, I'm hearing from parents all the time. Mike and Barry text me. Hey, Greg, both my kids are under 12 and in school. Vaccinated parents. I have very little worry about COVID. People need to take all aspects for consideration. Where you live, the COVID numbers. Based on data, I'll take the chance of COVID before an enlarged heart. Who's to say that an enlarged heart doesn't cause a heart attack when they get older? That's from Mike and Barry. And I get I get that perspective fully as well. I was ready last fall. I knew I knew that my kids needed to be in school and I was happy to take what I could get for the amount of in-class learning. And I've said this before and it irks some people, but I wish we'd gotten to the point. I really wish we'd gotten to the point with schools where a mask was a choice. We're not there. I understand that. I get it 100%. But in Massachusetts, I find this interesting. Massachusetts is a, uh, Massachusetts is a state that has a high uptake of vaccines. Delta has not flooded their hospitals. Find me a story, if you can, where people in Boston are dealing with what people in New Orleans are or Miami or Tampa or Atlanta. They're not. But the concept was we're going to do this for a month. We're going to have a mask mandate in place for a month. And if the vaccination rate hits 80%, then we can consider lifting it. There will be a point in time. The problem is we don't know when this time is. When I see Dr. Kieran Moore say yesterday, and it's really problematic for me, well, you know, we can't do much until we get to 90%. 
Yes, I get that. But what percentage are we talking about of kids who are under 12? Do you know how hard that if you were talking 90 percent of eligible Ontarians, that's fine. But I don't want the goalposts to move at a certain point of time and to say, well, now we need 90 percent of everybody. Well, that's going to be impossible until there's, until there's a vaccine for five to 11 year olds. And I think getting to 90 percent is incredibly, incredibly difficult. Your calls on this, how you're feeling as a parent. Um, I said in the summer with Delta, we, we shouldn't be dictated by the most fearful person on our street or the most scared person in their community. And I don't say that demeaningly. Scared is scared. Lots of things scare me. Lots of things scare you. Um, But if the vast majority of parents decide, I know how to risk mitigate, I know what the virus is and isn't, and what's going to change between now and six months from now, I get that also. Um, Let's go to Chris in Muskoka. Chris, it's great to have you on. Thanks for making the call, and you go ahead. Morning, Greg. Great show, man. Thank you. Thank I you. Just to um, I'm not concerned about my kids returning back to school. I'll be quite honest with you, Greg. I am more concerned about the amount of people that are still coming up to cottage country. I have friends that work retail that there's hand sanitizer when you first come in in the stores. A prime example is Giant Tiger in Gravenhurst, Ontario, and people not using hand sanitizers and stuff like that. So my kids are at a school where there's 1,200 kids. And uh, yeah, I'm not concerned with that at all because a lot of our families are all double vaccinated. So. You know, I just, uh, like I said, the amount of people still coming up to cottage country and just not being, mm. not being respectful, right, Sterling? So, you know, and but. you probably see what I see, like kids feed off of parents. So even when you even when you don't have it all together, you just have to come off with the image. It's like in, Annette Benning had that phrase, the character in American Beauty, where she's like to, to be to project an image of confidence. You must be confident at all times. And there's times when. Believe me, in tw- in the last 18 months, you don't have it all together. You can't let your kids in on that or they're going to get scared. And that's the and, and that stays with them. That gets into their hard wiring a little bit, I fear. Exactly. Exactly, sir. Appreciate the call, Chris. Thanks very much. Have a good day. Uh, 416-870-6400. Age in Toronto. Age, thanks for making the phone call and listening to the show. You go ahead. Uh, hi, Greg. I'm a gritty teacher in Toronto and... Um, I've I've lived this firsthand for two years, seeing what it does to um, my students and their frame of mind and how they are approaching learning and being social again. Mm. And I think what needs to happen is a, a shift in culture in terms of your frame of mind and attitude toward this virus. If anyone thinks that this virus is going to be eradicated, they obviously don't understand science. We just have to learn to live with it. You just said it, risk mitigation. Um, I, I can't wait for the day for these masks to be a thing of the past where I can see their expressions again and they can see mine. Amen. We can uh, get back to that. And, you know, I know your parents are teachers. I've been listening to you since you started. Uh, I used to follow you on 590, and I'm, I'm so happy that, you know, you're part of my morning now because you're awesome. And, you. you know, I, I just I want to make sure that, from my point of view, people understand as a teacher it's not easy. Um, I know we get a lot of flack because of, you know, so many different uh, narratives that people ha- have toward us. but uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to stay positive. I'm going to look forward to this year. It's going to be better. It's going to be different. And if we all adopt a frame of mind that things will be better, then I think we have no choice but to make them better.
Hundred percent. I I couldn't agree more. Thanks for the kind words, and thanks for doing what you do. And yeah, the callouts come from me. Um, the criticism comes from me when um, when the unions are are taking the loud minority of of saying, ah, well, vaccination's a personal choice. We were late on this. Um, leadership didn't lead. I'm sorry, they didn't. They weren't leading as recently as three or four weeks ago when you know we talked to people with the OSSTF, and they'd still say, well, it's a private health matter or it's a choice. No, it isn't. Not at this point. Not if you're sending kids to school. Teachers needed to be vaccinated in class. You want to teach online? Fantastic. Stay at home. And, and, and that said, that should be the least palatable option that's out there. New York State didn't even offer an online version. They said, you're coming back or there's no school. And I don't want kids to fall through the cracks. No one would. But I, I'm really frustrated. See, we have that call from a teacher, and I'm incredibly confident about a lot of things. And I can be equally frustrated with safeguards that are not in place. There shouldn't be assemblies right now. There shouldn't be indoor gym class. You should be outdoors every day for the first two months of the year. Well, you still can be for phys ed. And I know some people say, well, what's the difference if there's math class or phys ed? Oh, I don't know. Heavy breathing. I mean, how hot and bothered do you get about doing grade seven algebra? I sure as hell didn't. It's a big distinction. So happy to have our next guest on. Uh, you can watch her on uh, Global News at 530 and 6 with our own. She's our own, too. But uh, our guy, Alan Carter, uh, who hosts the Alan Carter radio program at 12 noon this afternoon and probably comes in and bothers our next guest with ah, blah, blah, blah. You should have heard how great my radio show was today. Uh, she's got something she can brag about, too. That's pretty impressive. It's called Canada Uncovered. It's on the History Channel and uh, it's a four part docuseries. Basically, uh, that, that, you know, talks about the stories that we didn't learn about in school. Residential schools, top of the list. Our guest, uh, and she'll be front and center for election coverage a week from next Monday, of course, here in Toronto, is Farah Nasser. It's great to have you on. Does Alan chat too much about the radio? We can talk to him about that. We can send a memo out. <laughs> you know what? I have to ask him. I'm like, how did it go today? How was your day? It's more like that. It's like, I don't know. You know, it was okay. And yeah, it's, it's more the other way around. I just uh, kind of, you know, poke and get it out of him. You have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, yeah, he's he's tight as a drum probably when he shows up. So you got to, yeah, it loosens him up a, a, a little bit. It's uh, it's verbal acupuncture, as it were. Canada Uncovered. Tell us a little bit about that and, and why you wanted to get involved in something like that and, and whether... I guess what what we've learned about residential schools, all of us, again, my, my parents were teachers and they told me in a conversation this summer, they're like, we feel like idiots. Like we we missed the boat. We didn't even talk about it in our household. And a, a lot of Canadian households just did not. You know, I feel like that as a journalist. I mean, I knew about them. I didn't know the extent of the horrors. And, you know, I'm, I'm embarrassed, to be honest, about how, how little I knew and, and how little we covered this Uh this, this huge chapter in Canadian history. And this was one of the reasons I wanted to, to get involved in this project and also the reckoning that we had, um, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement and, and all that stuff. I mean, it, it really showed me that a lot of Canadians aren't aware of our history. We see ourselves as this diverse multicultural place, um, you know, with equality, but we weren't always equal. And, uh, you know, we didn't really treat each other with respect in many, many times. In fact, there was environmental racism. There was systemic discrimination that started a long time ago um, that, that we address in the series. You dug deep into the history of a place called Africville, Nova Scotia. It's on the History TV Canada uh, Twitter page. There's a preview cut and people can go to uh, History Canada. They can see it on the global app as well. Tell us a bit about that. 
Yeah, Africville is uh, this place in Halifax. It's at the foot of the Bedford Basin, and it is a place where black, um, you know, the, the, the descendants of slave owners, they settled there after digging out the streets to create Halifax. Now, we see ourselves as the last stop on the Underground Railroad, Greg, but the truth is we really, Canada really treated these people horribly, didn't give them access to clean drinking water, you know, police protection, all the stuff that the city had, the city that they dug out, and they were treated, they, they put an infectious disease hospital around them, an open pit garbage dump, um, just tried to drive them out of this area because it was it, it was connected to Halifax in a, in a, in a key piece of, of real estate. So they, they drove them out and um, we talked to Eddie Carvery. Um, I spoke to him and his grandson, who is probably the longest standing uh, protester in Canada. He's been, he's been protesting this for 50 years. His family was in Africville. And he says every resident of Africville right now has cancer. Can you imagine? Oh, like a generation yeah. later, they're dealing with this. Um, I, I'm I'm fascinated to get to uh, to talk about the election, of course. But nine uh, eleven anniversary for twenty years is is in September. You were in London, and I know we talked. I think either while you were in London or just after you got back uh, with with the horrific terror attack in early June there, um, that with with the uh, perpetrator mowing down a Muslim family, it was domestic terrorism to a T. Um, what was nine eleven like for you? Many Muslims have described it to me as. Uh, as the day it instantaneously be- became harder, not just in the United States, but here uh, to be Muslim after September 11th. Would you relate to that? Yeah, absolutely. It, cha- it changed so much for Muslim Canadians, uh, Muslim Americans. It, it was just, it was very difficult because I think a lot of people wanted, were angry and upset and shocked, obviously, and needed needed someone to blame and people to blame. And they kind of just put... They, first of all, they they linked these terrorists to Islam, and we know like they they were they were not Muslim in terms of what Islam is, or I'm Muslim, like what my Islam is. Um, but they also, you know, made it seem like it was a monolithic religion, and it, it it was really difficult. I mean, I had a friend. I think I told you, you know, mm-hmm. he had a he wanted to take flying lessons, and he had a pamphlet in the car. He was my age, you know, and we were in our early twenties. And he was, you know, questioned for nothing. Like he had nothing to do with anything. And it was just the, you know, I don't know, the civil liberties, the the whole thing. It was very difficult. And then this London attack. I mean, I felt like same, the same kind of emotions came up when when we heard about that that poor Muslim family. Well, and I think airports, especially right, Farah. I mean, that was um, there was going to there was bound to be, and and I don't know a way around it, but. Um, I, there was bound to be profiling. I, I have a Muslim friend and, and he <laughs> he flies a lot for work and he's like, y- you wouldn't believe it. Like it's like I, I leave earlier than you do as as a white person. I'm like, that sounds terrible. But you'd show up at these airports and, and you know, you take your family on vacation or you're going somewhere with parents and you want it to be a joyous occasion. You save money. You want to go on a trip. And the airports and the profiling made it a, a lot less than that. It, it gets it off to a rocky start, to put it mildly. Yeah, and the other thing was that really struck me is we just sat and kind of took it all. Like, it was very, it wasn't questioned. It was like, okay, this is what you need to do. You need to, you know, search us and you need to do this. And But there was a lot of things that were not fair, you know, the way that the way that it was handled. And um, I think Muslim Canadians started speaking out a bit later, but it was, a lot of it was hidden, a lot of it was underreported. And I don't think that there was that validation from, from the outside community to say, this isn't right how you're being treated. And when I, when I was in London at that vigil, I couldn't believe the amount of non-Muslims that were there in support of their Muslim community. It, 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 it gave me goosebumps. I, I, sat, I mm. talked to this woman, you know, who's like several generations from London, Ontario, and we were both in, you know, cheering up. And, and she's like, I just, I, I, this, these are my people. This is like it happened to my family, you know? And, and 
I think things have changed in that sense. Uh, election coverage a week from next Monday. I, I know voters didn't expect to go to the polls uh, in less than two years time back in uh, October of 2019. Um, <laughs> television host, radio host and journalist didn't expect to do five or six weeks of election coverage either in the midst of a global pandemic. But um, this result seems very much in the air. Every writing matters. And, and you know all too well from living here as long as you have. I know it, too, that the 905, the GTA, um, it often swings things. It sure did last time out certainly certainly i mean you need to get that 905 you need to get the burbs i mean toronto even like some seats that could go ndp there are there's just there's so much happening in this election and it's coming to us like a fire hose and things are changing daily and then also i mean the tone of the campaign changing with all these protests greg that Mm -hmm. you know we saw in the states not too long ago and thought wow that would never happen here well look at it is it is happening here there's like clearly a shift people are angry people are upset i mean and this you know, vitriolic behavior towards Trudeau that's that's right now wherever he goes. I mean, there's just there's so much happening with this campaign. But as you're right, it is so close. I don't think anybody expected it to be so close. I think a lot of people discounted O'Toole, which obviously was a mistake. Um, but I've interviewed, you know, three of the four leaders. We're hoping to get O'Toole uh, in the next in the next while. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's 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 clearly there's there's this sense that that everyone is kind of on edge because we don't know which way this is going to go. Yeah, it's real problematic. We had Abigail Beeman on the show a couple of weeks ago, and and she's been on the ground as has our David Aiken, as have so many great reporters. And I think someone mentioned to her, "Well, you're so brave to be doing this and be out here." And I'm thinking to myself, "You shouldn't have to be. You shouldn't have to be brave to go do your." gig out in the pub that used to be one of the fun parts was to go out be live on location and interact with people and um there shouldn't be layers of fear and concern and and hate being thrown around i don't know how we i don't know how we police it and make it better i don't know i i, I don't know and but, but you know th- this noticeable shift is not a new thing like it was it happened during the pandemic for the first time i stood in canada you know you remember i covered the washington election mm-hmm. the election in washington with biden and and this is the first time i, I came back there, I was, you know, people yelled fake news, but not to the way they did here. I was chased around by a man who wasn't wearing a mask, you know, and I was masked and he was literally following me and getting in my face, you know, in, in COVID times. Like, there's been a shift here for trust for the media that's been eroded for many, many reasons. Um, and there's been there's also been a, uh, you know, a, a shift in the anger towards our politicians and kind of how we behave in civil society and in democratic society. And, and I know it's a small group of people. I get that. But I think that, I think there is underlying anger here, and I think it has a lot to do with the pandemic. Tons of it. Um, uh, the host of uh, History TV Canada's Canada Uncovered. Check that out on uh, on the website and on the global app as well. And you'll see her tonight at five thirty and six, and on election night. Far and great to have you on as always. Thanks for doing this. Always love talking to you. Thanks, Greg. All right. Dave Bradley, uh, how was your uh, drive-in? And I'm assuming no black bears uh, on the... How was your drive-in with, uh, with the water and all that? It, it actually wasn't too bad. I it's had to play bad. a little bit of Dodge garbage on the street because uh, a few bags of garbage got blown out in the middle of the street, so I was weaving back and forth. But uh, yeah, it wasn't wasn't too horrible. It was like an obstacle course? You were like Super Dave Yeah, pretty Osborne. much. Yeah, it's, it's great when there's no traffic out there. You can go any side <laughs> of the road. You what? It's okay, everybody. I got it all under control. Harder to perform moving violations around uh, four in the afternoon. Uh, <laughs> During the afternoon rush, as it were. All right, so this day in history, what are we uh, what are we starting with today on uh, September the eighth? 
Well, it's September the 8th, way back 1930. It's something that you've used often, usually around Christmas time, but uh, 3M started marketing scotch tape. So that's the first time scotch tape made an appearance way back in 1930. Uh, I would have thought it would have been later than that. Like I would, I would have thought maybe 50s, 60s, but 1930, first that time they had out. that they had the technology. Yeah. That's a that's a huge step up for tape because you ever run out of of scotch tape and use masking tape. And the worst is uh, there have been presents and they may have been from a significant other tape with ho- kids hockey tape. Ah, yes, it's that's when you like when you're doing that, you know that you're wrapping presents December 24th around like 10:30 at night that you bought December 24th around 6 p.m. at night. Hands down, duct it's, tape and newspaper also come in very handy. What are the newspaper? What is oh newspaper instead of wrapping? Yeah, paper. exactly. If you run out, then you really hurt. Your wife's like, am I getting fish and chips? Like, why does this look this <laughs> terrible? It's a, it's one of my least. I mean, I'm not handy, but wrapping presents. And getting rid of all the wrinkles. There's some men that have just an art to it, and I do not. Yeah. It, it, you know what? As long as it's done, that's what I consider fine. But on this day back in 1994, this happened. I'm very happy to be here. And just think, nobody thought this would last. <laughs> you remember that? That's when Michael Jackson and Lisa Marie Presley... Made their first live appearance on TV as a husband and wife. That was at the MTV Video Music Awards in New York. And, of course, at the end when the crowd cheers, that's when Michael leans in and gives her a big kiss. He gave her a good haunt. It was like, and I think that's that's almost what Madonna and Britney Spears did about 10 years later. And I almost feel like that that, that paid homage to Michael Jackson's. And Michael Jackson was still alive then, but that was the, the kiss. And when he says nobody thought this was last, I feel like they divorced like three weeks yeah, later. Yeah, I don't totally know that for it sure. It was or not. such a publicity stunt. It was just weird. But then he got married again. I know. And she did too, actually. And she <laughs> and she did too? I think she went on to have a kid with somebody else. But anyway. I just remember I Priscilla. Her mom was on Dallas forever. So you saw Priscilla Presley on Dallas. She was dating Bobby Ewing forever. And I'm like... This feels like somebody that's gotten, you know, when you're married to Elvis, I'm sure things as a as a teenage bride, things, you know, you, to get normalized at that point, that's really something. But Lisa Marie, a little off the rails, right? No, oh, yeah, totally, a little little unhinged, unhinged at times. On this day in twenty or two thousand six, this movie came out, and you know it very well. Borat, the cultural learnings of America for make benefit glorious nation of Kazakhstan. That's when it was released. Okay, so a not joke was, I would say, that suit is black. Not. Uh, this suit is not black. No, no, not has to be the end. Okay. Okay. This suit is black, not. This suit is black. Pause. You know what a pause is? Yes. This suit is black. Not. This suit is black. Pause. Not. No, you, you don't say pause. This suit is black. That's a pause. Not. This suit is black. Okay. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not Not. Quite... <laughs> um... Probably like I'm I'm crying in the theater watching it, just crying, bawling. Not only that, you can watch it again and again, and you're still laughing at new aspects of it. It's it's crazy. There's probably some stuff we're not supposed to laugh at. In fact, I was oh. I wanted to be very cautious, especially with a new name on the silly show and everything. And I'm like, 
I didn't want to be seen. You know, then you got to put in a disclaimer. The views of Borat yeah. do not reflect those. Of, well, <laughs> uh, certainly not Dave Bradley. Like, let's be honest, and and me as well. But um, yeah, the, there were a lot of lot in there about feminism and uh, whatnot. I'm like, let's not play those clips. Let's just do the the, the not joke, basically. A, but the sequel didn't hold up, though. I can say I that. haven't seen. I'm still Go afraid to see it because I'm I'm I was remarkably uncomfortable with some of the clips I saw with the daughter. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and it's Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, but I mean there were aspects of it that were like, oh yeah, cool. But it, it sort of <laughs> it had already been done, so. Yeah. And the number one song in the Billboard Hot 100 at this time back in 1990, Bon Jovi's Blaze of Glory. Yeah, I remember this uh, distinctly. And uh, this is when I think everything Bon Jovi touched turned to gold. You're like, you're making a solo single in like a big movie and it's like snap of a finger. Now, to me, I'll ask you: Does it sound too much like "Wanted Dead or Alive"? It kind of does. <laughs> at, at least at the beginning, it, it very much does. But this was sort of when videos were becoming very popular too, and he sort of dominated that genre as well. Yeah. Can you name uh, the actors in Young Guns? Oh, um, no. Okay. <laughs> Not at all, actually. Um, oh. If yeah. I name, if I told if, Emilio Estevez. Oh yes, of course. Kiefer was- Sutherland. Was I think Christian Slater in that too? He was in a oh my god, he was in a western after that, and I can't think of the name of it. It was almost like a young guns knockoff. Kiefer Southern, Lou Diamond Phillips. Lou Diamond Phillips, there's a name for the Three fast. years after La Bamba. Charlie Sheen, I have no recollection of this, that Estevez and Sheen, their brothers in real life, obviously, were, were in the same movie. Pre-crazy and, Charlie Sheen. Yeah, pre-Tiger Blood. Yeah. Uh hashtag winnings. There were no hashtags in, in um young guns. But yeah, um, wow, 1990, and that uh, that song "Blaze of Glory" was uh, was the lead for it. A retelling of the adventures of Billy the Kid. I'm not a Western guy though. It's weird. Like people swear by Unforgiven, and they swear by um, there was another one called The Quick and the Dead around that time. That was a good one. Um, and Unforgiven, I think Gene Hackman's one of my favorite actors. But I've never, uh, I I don't think I've ever rewatched it a second time. And there's people that have seen it, like Shawshank. There's people that have yeah. seen it 20 times. Yeah, it shows up on TV, and you're like, I'll watch this. You know, it's one of those movies that make a rainy day disappear. 100%. Like uh, like today is right now. Thanks, Dave. No problem. Dave Bradley with uh, What Happened When. We'll do it again tomorrow at 6.30. That's all we've got for today. Uh, a fresh new podcast tomorrow. Thanks very much for checking us out. Don't forget to leave us a rating. Do that. Subscribe. Recommend. We do appreciate it. It'll help us do what we do even better and give you more of what you need. So you can check us out tomorrow on Global News Radio 640 Toronto at 5.30 a.m. until 9 a.m. And, of course, available right here digitally where you got us in the first place. Thanks very much for listening.